Hello, hello. How is everyone doing? Welcome to another live Q&A session. We're going to do <clears throat> a bit of uh, questions and answers, any different kinds of um, you know problems and um, things you want to get answers to. I just came back from uh, actually doing cardio, <laughs> so doing some Sunday cardio and also came from a sauna, so my face is a bit sweaty or kind of blushed up uh, from the sauna. Uh, so yeah, happy to see you guys here. Let me know in the comments uh, where you're coming, where you're watching this from, and you can also start asking uh, some questions. In the but first, I'll also uh, let you know that uh, I uh, released some merch for uh, the Stronger by Stress, basically. I'll drag myself out of this picture, and uh, yeah, it's the Stronger by Stress uh, logo, uh, or the slogan from the book on the shirts, which is pretty damn awesome, it looks awesome, it uh, looks good, and yeah, different kinds of uh, tank tops, uh, hoodies, stickers, uh, bags, yoga mats, and this uh, baby onesie, <laughs> so if you have a baby and you want them to uh, have a good influence on uh, becoming self-empowered, uh, then uh, yeah, check out the uh, Song of Isteris, uh, Baby Onesie. And there's a di different second design as well, with the kind of Vitruvian man on there. So yeah, you can check it out. Um, the link is in the description. It's uh, basically seamland.com forward slash merch, where you can get it. But with that being said, let's get into the questions and uh, I'll uh, just start. I'll try to answer as many as I can <clears throat> and we'll go for maybe like an hour or something like that. Hi from Upstate NU. That's awesome. I don't know what that st stands for, but uh, good to have you here. All right, question. Are dried fruits like apricots and prunes high in fluoride? Well, uh, I don't think so. Well, like at, at least not like significant amounts. Like the amount of uh, fluoride in foods is uh, very low. So it's uh, yeah hard to uh, get like excess fluoride if you're eating only whole foods. Um, yeah, the main source of uh, fluoride in the Western diet is um, tap water and or toothpaste or something. <laughs> but the, the amount of like tooth, the uh, amount of fluoride you get from uh, toothpaste is uh, very small. So fluoride itself is like an essential mineral. Like your body needs it. It uh, prevents against the cavities and stuff like that. Uh, but in excess, it uh, certainly has like a negative effect on, uh, especially like children are very vulnerable to that. Uh, can lower their IQ and things like that. Uh, but you do need like some fluoride in your. Uh, in your daily intake. And the RDA for fluoride is approximately like 0.3 milligrams or something, uh, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, the S, or maybe even even like higher, 0.5 or 0.6, something like that. And uh, if you if you uh, like brush your teeth, then you absorb only like 0.1 milligrams from that, unless you're like swallowing the toothpaste. So uh, yeah, even like using a regular toothpaste that has fluoride in it is fine if you don't eat any fluoride. Uh, besides that, and if you're drinking unfluorinated water, if you're drinking fluorinated water and uh, there's like, uh, you drink it a lot, so to say, like your main source of water is tap water, then you maybe get yeah, like excess fluoride. Uh, but if you're like a clean guy or like a clean paleo uh, dude uh, that uh, avoids tap water and stuff like that, uh, then you may actually be not getting enough fluoride and you may actually get like uh, cavities and stuff like that. So uh, yeah. It's a kind of a controversial topic, especially in the like alternative, alternative health field that uh, you know fluoride is actually like essential mineral. But yeah, most people are still getting too much of it because they're drinking tap water. Uh, me myself, uh, I don't drink like my water doesn't have fluoride, and I don't eat like any significant fluoride foods either. And but I do use like regular toothpaste in a sense that uh, that has fluoride in it, and I'm like not like worried about it because the amount is again I'm not swallowing the toothpaste, <laughs> so I'm not, not not eating it, and. Um, 
yeah, I may go only get like 0.1 milligrams, which is well below uh, the RDA. But your question, like, does it have uh, fluoride bio and eco label? Well, I don't think so. Like, it does have a uh, boron. Uh, dried fruits have a lot of a uh, boron, so the uh, especially the prunes, dried prunes uh, have a huge amount of boron, which is great. You want to get uh, some boron, and that's good for like bones and testosterone levels, stuff like that. Uh, and the same applies to raisins. How do you mitigate uh, refeeding syndrome symptoms from fasting 20 to 22 hours every day? Yeah, well, refeeding syndrome uh, is not like what it sounds like. It sounds like it's uh, like binge eating, <laughs> which, which it isn't. Uh, refeeding syndrome is actually uh, this phenomenon where uh, you, um, you can go hypoglycemic, you can uh, go very low in uh, blood uh, sodium levels and stuff like that. And usually it happens after fasting because uh, you're, uh, when you break the fast, then the, the insulin that you spike... May, uh, may may deplete your bloodstream from uh, essential minerals like you know sodium and uh, potassium st stuff like that and shuttle them into the cells which then leaves your bloodstream uh, low in those minerals and then you can um, you know potentially die even um, usually it happens only like in this extended fasts it's not going to happen like in 20 to 22 hours uh, but you can also mitigate that by having uh, some uh, sodium and uh, like sodiums during the fast, just you know, salted water, mineral water, and uh, break the fast with low glycemic uh, foods that uh, aren't going to spike the insulin. Uh, did, uh, but if you mean refeeding syndrome by just binge eating, then uh, then uh, for that kind of similar scenario, you don't want to be um, basically opening the floodgates with uh, some junk food or uh, some foods that cause this uh, hyper hyperphagia and uh, super, super massive cravings. Uh, you want to yes, start with something small that uh, eases into it. New York, London, Seattle, San Diego, California, Kansas, Serbia. Awesome. <laughs> uh, how much glycine do you take per day? Uh, well, me, if I were to guess, then I may get like 10 grams, something like that, I think. Um, so, yeah, I usually take it um, in my coffee. I'll take maybe 2 to 4 grams. And in the evenings, I'll also take two to four grams, and I may get some glycine from like uh, gelatin uh, or collagen powder that I may take. So yeah, like ten grams, something like that. Uh, the upper dose, the safe dose, is still like thirty grams, so you can still uh, get a huge amount. It's pretty like safe uh, to take. Toledo, Ohio. Damn it! It scrolled up. Okay. Any information on Lyme disease, better way to heal other than antibiotics? Uh, well, um, I can't give like any professional medical advice on that, uh, but like what, well, at least like uh, you can do some online search of uh, how Tim Ferriss, I think he uh, cured his Lyme disease uh, with, or at least uh, cure, help with some of the symptoms was a uh, keto. So I think that can help. Um, maybe some medicinal mushroom adaptogens or like, you know, reishi, chaga, tinctures, those can also may have like some similar effects, uh, like the beta-glucans in them um, tend to be having like that kind of effect. But yeah, you can do some research or see what uh, Tim Ferriss had to do. Coming from Dublin, Ireland, me and the wife are moving to Estonia in 2022. <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, that sounds pretty cool. Do I need to do keto to reverse my insulin resistance and lose weight? Well, no, like you can uh, for sure uh, do it with also like a high carb diet, like a vegan diet or a low fat diet. 
Um, but it's just, you know, the main idea is to, well, yeah, like the, there are two, two, like routes to this. With keto, with low carb, you're basically removing the carbs and, um, becoming more insulin sensitive eventually after that, which you actually aren't gonna become like fully insulin sensitive, uh, by doing that. Because if you're on keto all the time as well, then you may actually stay in this physiological state of insulin resistance because you're not eating any carbs and the body loses its ability to, uh, produce or it's gonna reduce the, um, effectiveness of insulin uh, production by doing that and uh, that's not like you know super insulin sensitive you would you would it would help to lower your blood sugar and uh, help to uh, reverse this hyperglycemia and those kinds of things uh, but if you want to become fully insulin sensitive again then you still need to be eating some carbs um, to do that uh, whereas on a, like a high carb diet low fat diet and then um, the route for that is that um, you're giving yourself basically basically more <laughs> more carbs and that that would uh, gradually may ramp up your insulin sensitivity by doing that because you know the more you use it the more sensitive you're gonna get in essence uh, but the problem is that you would need to be like low fat because the combination of high fat with high carbs uh, would also mean that um, the it may actually uh, induce like ex excess uh, fat fat intake in the presence of uh, carbs can cause this insulin resistance so uh, yeah, there are kind of two solutions that you can do, like a high carb, low fat diet, or a low carb, high fat diet. Uh, either is one. I, th I think like in the short term, initially, it is better to do like a low carb solution to lower the blood sugar and uh, start reversing some of the damage, and then uh, gradually transition over back into a higher carb approach or like a cyclical approach. I think is the best one that you uh, do keto a cyclical. What's your opinion on resveratrol and MNM? I think you mean MNM. <laughs> How do I take these? Are these fat soluble? Well, I do think that uh, NMN is for sure um, has a lot of potential for, especially just you know NAD synthesis, and uh, it's been found to be uh, like a lo lot of uh, promising research in animals, at least, of reversing some uh, signs of uh, biological aging. The um, the research on resveratrol isn't that huge or like you know well, it's there's a lot of studies but they aren't like that powerful it's not that promising um and i think that um the resorts may have like mostly on like just uh, parameters of metabolic syndrome and diabetes whereas mnm nmn uh, has a, like a more direct impact on uh, the aspect of biological aging so uh, if i were to choose which one is better i would say nmn is better uh, or more of like a more potent I, both of them, uh, well, resveratrol you should take, yeah, with uh, some uh, fat, but NMN, uh, no, you're like, you don't need to do that, uh, but if you do take NMN, then you need to, um, you need to get some methyl donors, because the uh, NMN may deplete your methyl, methyl donors if you take it alone, so either trimethylglycine, uh, glycine, uh, creatine, um, uh, methionine, folate, those kinds of uh, methyl donors with the NMN to kind of uh, replenish your um, methyl donors. What's your absolutely essential daily supplements? Well, I have a video that I made uh, recently uh, about uh, the supplements that I would take for the rest of my life. And um, well, I think the, the, my current like absolute essentials are, or the ones that I like the most are uh, glycine, maybe magnesium and uh, K2. I think, yeah, those are the three. Um, that I also covered, that uh, would be my kind of uh, three ones that I would take for the rest of my life. 
Uh, how do you feel about NSC supplement and the benefits? Yeah, I think NSC is great. It helps with aglutathione, antioxidant defense. And uh, yeah, it also has liver, liver protective effects, liver detox. So uh, yeah, it's a very cheap one as well. It's kind of been around for a long time, age-old supplement. And uh, yeah, I think that can be sure uh, useful. The uh, problem is that, yeah, like the Amazon took it off <laughs> from uh, the uh, their listing, the NSE. And uh, yeah, like the, I think there were many kind of just bureaucracy and the FDA kind of uh, <laughs> joking around there trying to patent it or something like that. Uh, so, so yeah, like I do have like a, a bunch of NSE that I bought um, before they took it down. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I'm fine for at least like a few years uh, when it comes to NSE. Uh, and I do take I do take it regularly, but not like a daily. I take it only like rest days because it does also have this uh, it's going to suppress some aspects of exercise adaptations like muscle growth and strength gains if you take it post-workout uh, but if you take it on rest day then it's probably not going to have that effect dun, dun, dun. how much and how long for protein to turn to fat not for building muscles <laughs> well uh, that's going to be uh, a long, long road for protein to end up as fat, uh, although it's very possible still. Um, it's yeah hard to gain fat from excess protein, uh, but it's still possible. So what happens if, you know, it's going to happen if you're just in a calorie surplus. If you eat uh, protein above your calorie uh, surplus, then uh, some protein of that is going to be converted into gluconeogenesis. You will uh, lose a lot of calories for creating that and uh, digesting that protein and uh, gluconeogenesis also requires some energy. Uh, but yeah, just just a surplus of calories will eventually go into uh, body fat through the process of gluconeogenesis. The protein goes into glucose first, and the glucose goes into triglycerides into uh, the adipose tissue, essentially. But it's yeah, like a long, <laughs> a slightly more longer process than uh, with fat. Like excess fat is much easier to convert into body fat, and uh, the carbs, excess carbs, they're not like super easy to convert as fat but it's uh, still um, easier than a protein. So it's just uh, like uh, three steps along the way. Fat is the easiest, carbs is the second, and a protein is the hardest to be as body fat. Uh, but yeah, it's still possible. What do you think about gluten? <laughs> well, gluten is... Uh, obviously, if you have like uh, celiac disease or uh, gluten intolerance, then uh, yeah, you don't want to be eating that. Uh, but, you know, uh, if you don't have any uh, negative symptoms of that, then you don't need to be afraid of it either, I think. Um, a lot of people may just uh, develop some sort of orthorexia or uh, manic <laughs> fear about gluten, and uh, which may not be war warranted. It may, may be just um, made up, in essence, and uh, they make it a bigger deal than it actually is. And the, it's also like a self-fulfilling prophecy as well, that you avoid the gluten because you're on this uh, clean uh, paleo type of uh, vegan diet or something, and... Uh, then you, you know, your body actually becomes more sensitive towards the gluten because you've been not eating it. Then you accidentally eat it, like, you know, in a birthday or something like that. You eat pizza and then you get like this um, negative experience because you're uh, not able to tolerate it. That effectively you get some sort of allergic reaction, some breakout, uh, you feel crap afterwards. You get a carb coma and all those bad things and you think that it's a gluten, but it's the problem was actually that your body lost its ability to tolerate the gluten and uh, that's why like I like this concept of hormesis and uh, the microdosing <laughs> that you uh, have the uh, gluten every once in a while so that um, 
you would uh, basically uh, make the body remember what it feels like to uh, digest the gluten. And in practice, that means, yeah, just eating some bread once a week or something, eating a piece of cake once a week uh, or once a month, uh, depending on your, your like sensitivity and things like that. And it's actually like a th therapeutic uh, way of uh, reversing some uh, like allergies as well, like this uh, small introduction. In my video about the uh, genetics, where I talked about my genetics, uh, there was one of the reports of the, like this immunotherapy or something like that, that you introduce this small allergen in small amounts and uh, over time the body should uh, become uh, more resistant to it. Do you recommend coffee with heavy cream or butter for IF? Well, uh, I would say uh, ideally, well, I prefer to have a no, no things, just a black coffee. Uh, if I were to choose, then I think the kind of heavy cream is a bit better. It's uh, less calories and uh, it also has kind of better texture or like better taste. You would need to put like a lot more butter to get some sort of a taste effect uh, from that. Like you would need a tablespoon of butter, whereas a tablespoon of uh, heavy cream is more than enough usually. And it also has like almost half the less, half, half as calories than uh, butter or even three times less calories. Is olive oil still good? Yeah, I think it's good. Yeah, it's been around for thousands of years. People have been eating that. And um, yeah, it's, it just depends on the quality of it. Like most of the brands may just uh, combine it together with canola oil, uh, which obviously makes it more uh, inflammatory and uh, reduces the, um, the fatty acid profile of that. Olive oil itself is, yeah, if it's you know high in polyphenols, then it's great. It's a great source of uh, healthy fats. Obviously, you don't want to overdo it. Like I'm not sure about you know drenching everything in olive oil, uh, but adding into a bit of like salad dressing is fine. It's also like if it's high in polyphenols, then it's also good to cook with, because the polyphenols themselves will protect us against the oxidation, the lipid peroxidation. But you would need to know <laughs> how good your olive oil is. Dun dun dun! Hello from France. Sorry, I missed the start. With an increase in overnight ketones, indicate that the day before I did not eat, would eat. Sorry, um, would an increase in overnight ketones indicate that the day before I did not overeat that day? <laughs> uh, well, I think yeah. It like calorie restriction may also um, boost some ketones, but it's not the only way. It could also mean that you ate a bit less carbs the night before, as your ketones are now higher. And so, yeah, like it depends on just the amount of overall calories and the amount of carbs specifically. You can also just be uh, very metabolically flexible. If you're already in, like fit and healthy, you're uh, insulin sensitive, then yeah, it could also be that you're just you know, healthy. That uh, takes you less time to get into ketosis. I suffered with a severe depression for a few days after breaking my ketogenic diet. Do you think it's related or it's just a coincidence? <laughs> well, uh, sounds, sounds bad. Sounds like a bad experience that um, keto prevented you from getting depression then. Uh, well, I won't say that. I don't, I don't know if there is like any um, research about keto and uh, depression. There's certainly like a research about um, keto and epilepsy and other kind of uh, neurodegenerative conditions, it may have like some aspects of um, 
like GABA is more uh, promotes more GABA keto than uh, than uh, carbs. So um, yeah, maybe the keto would just help you to maintain like mental clarity and uh, peace of mind or like mental en stable energy levels. That could also be and the inflammation, like uh, excess inflammation, is also linked to depression. So could be just the, the, when you break the keto, then uh, you got some sort of like allergic response or autoimmune response from eating that food the carbs or something depends on the carbs you eat like if you <laughs> if you macrodose the gluten uh, after breaking keto then you may have gotten some sort of yeah like brain fog and inflammation which may have caused like some depressive symptoms uh, but yeah depends on the um, depends on your yeah like sensitivity and food tolerances smash the like button <laughs> yes do it duh can adrenal can adrenal fatigue happen in keto and fasting? Is it a mineral balance problem or just a stress problem? It could happen if uh, you're uh, overdoing it or if you're combining it with a bunch of uh, calorie restriction and excess stress and excess exercise. It could uh, for sure uh, cause that. Uh, the but it's not necessarily um, guaranteed to happen. You can easily avoid it if you uh, make sure that you get. Specifically, like, you know, um, you don't want to get, you want to, you, 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 um, you don't want to be doing, yeah, like this high intensity cardio, basically, high intensity cardio with uh, eating only 10 grams of carbs a day and uh, doing OMAD and uh, eating only a thousand calories and those kinds of things. That will eventually yeah, lead to adrenal fatigue. Are there minerals in involved there? It could be like low sodium, uh, ex like sodium restriction uh, may cause like, um, Hypothyroidism and uh, and uh, chronic stress and insulin resistance even so uh, yeah that can be it like electrolytes for sure like you uh, lose electrolytes when you are uh, on keto unless you like replace them if you would meet your 18 year old self and trying to help him reach the same level of success you're having today but half the time what would be three speed tips you would uh, give yourself. <laughs> That's a good question. Well, uh, I think I would say like maybe obviously it's gonna be easier if you have like some sort of mentor or coach uh, who uh, teaches you that. I didn't have any uh, anyone. I just you know learned myself. But even like um, watching different kinds of YouTube videos for sure uh, can uh, substitute that to a certain extent. Just you know immersing yourself into uh, the thing you're trying to do. And uh, just, you know, success in general, it has like this, uh, it's going to rub off on you, <laughs> basically, that uh, you're going to absorb that information. Uh, the second one would be, uh, well, I did, I think I did everything right, almost. <laughs> Not to be like bragging, but I think, yeah, I made almost everything right, in a sense. So I'll, I'll just say like what I did, um, I, I, yeah, like I just immersed myself into the knowledge. As Second of all, um, second of all, I didn't... Or uh, the thing that I would say is that to kind of find this one topic that you want to focus on instead of being like all over the place. A lot of people um, initially when they haven't like discovered what their kind of theme is and what they want to do, then uh, they may end up being all over the place and uh, just it becomes confusing and uh, it's much harder to uh, establish a foothold. And it's much easier to be uh, f focused on just one thing and then become good at it and then spread it. And the last tip would also be like just learn about making a better content um, so that people would uh, 
be more receptive of that because yeah you can have like the best information in the world and you can be like the best coach or best uh, scientist or whatever uh, but if you don't know how to share it <laughs> then then no one's gonna hear it so uh, you need to be good you need to be good as a storyteller and uh, like a content creator as well as a you know quote-unquote uh, teacher How much protein and carbs do you recommend a 386 pound obese insulin resistant sedentary female should eat every day to keep muscle and lose fat in a healthy way and get to 200 pounds? Well, that's a very descriptive <laughs> description. How much protein and carbs? Well, your if your ideal body weight is going to be 200, then I would say, yeah. Somewhere around like, um, well, at minimum, you would want 160 grams until up up until um 200 grams of protein that would be a good thing uh carbs if you're insulin resistant and obese then it may be easier to initially uh, be restricted with carbs maybe like 50 grams of carbs and uh, yeah almost do like um this uh, high protein keto that uh, you're not eating a bunch of uh, super high fat but you're keeping the protein high and the carbs still low it's almost like a protein sparing modified fast type of thing uh, and because you are uh, overweight then uh, you can do it for quite a long time without any issues well, and uh, then uh, create some sort of a calorie deficit approximate at least like 500 calories is the uh, gold standard you could also get, take it a bit more drastic like 700 800 but uh, yeah that's gonna be a bit uh, harder to um, recover from so i think that like a five 500 calorie deficit is a sustainable the progress may be a bit slower but it's still um, um but it's still uh, like um kind of worth it dun, dun, dun. okay we have a super chat uh Thank you, Seem. What are your thoughts on taking AHCC in this COVID climate? Can you do a video on this? Any new books coming for COVID long haulers? <laughs> AHCC, well, it's a kind of a shiitake mushroom, um, you know, compound. And um, the medicinal mushrooms, they do have a beneficial effect on the immune system, like the beta-glucans contain these beta-glucans that... Uh, lower inflammation and uh, can even inhibit some cancer pathways whether it's for well it's not going to hurt you <laughs> like it's just a medicinal mushroom supplement so it's not going to be like a, i take it almost you know year round and uh, not every day but you know quite regularly some sort of a medicinal mushroom uh, tincture or something like that and uh, yeah i think it's a uh, relatively safe it's not going to promote it's not going to make it worse <laughs> if that makes sense uh, any new books coming for covid long haulers well, not about any COVID-related things, um, but yeah, we do have our next book uh, with uh, Dr. James Nicolatoni as well. And uh, we actually have a third author. It's uh, Tristan Kennedy, who is the uh, nutritionist of uh, Conor McGregor. So um, yeah, the three of us, we it's going to be about um, physical performance, basically. Uh, sports, how do you optimize uh, physical performance? Mostly for yeah different kinds of sports like contact sports, uh, team sports, uh, powerlifting, uh, bodybuilding. It's like a general framework framework for uh, peak performance and involves like uh, fitness tips, uh, recovery, uh, nutrition, and yeah, it's a pretty damn awesome book. And the foreword is also written by uh, Ben Greenfield. So yeah, that's a <laughs> pretty good lineup uh, with the four of us uh, there, and it's a pretty yeah good uh, good book. It's gonna be as good 
in terms of the uh, information packed as the like the mineral fix and the immunotic fix in terms of like all the um, graphs and uh, pictures and images and the bullet points and those kind of things it's probably going to come out maybe in november we'll hope to see but thanks for the uh, question let's carry on <clears throat> I gain more muscle on high-carb diets. I eat strict keto for two years without cycling carbs and gain muscle very slowly. Is eating carbs worth the insulin levels for more muscle mass? Well, yeah, like the amount of uh, muscle mass you e increase with uh, carbs is uh, mostly is going to be from a glycogen and water. So your body holds more water and glycogen with the presence of carbs because of insulin. And, um, you know, I, I do think that it can also be... Uh, directly more muscle mass because of uh, you exercising harder you have more strength and more power by doing that and uh, that could also be one thing I, I do notice that for sure I'm like um, in terms of like power lifting and uh, bodybuilding I'm stronger if I eat carbs regularly not like a huge a lot but uh, if I carb load the night before then the next day's workout is going to be a bit better where uh, regards to insulin and uh, is it worth it well, like if you're not if you're not diabetic, then uh, it can be sure for sure worth it. Um, and if you're relatively fit and healthy, and your insulin levels are still normal, then it's still uh, okay. You don't need to be uh, super low insulin to be healthy. You just need to you know, do like a blood test and see. But you can still build muscle with low carb and keto. It just maybe takes a bit more time. Boom, boom, boom. Well, actually, sorry, I have to. Kind of cut it short. I actually have like another call that I forgot about <laughs> that I have to do uh, quite soon. So we'll pick one last question and uh, we'll do like another Q&A maybe like in the end of this next week. Let's see. Let's pick another question. Last question. Why do I sleep so well when I have a lot of carbs, a lot of carbs before bed? Well, carbs help with uh, serotonin, and serotonin converts into melatonin, and uh, yeah, you can crash basically and uh, feel drowsy, so, which is a good, good thing. I think that like, eating carbs at dinner is uh, actually much better than eating them at the daytime. All right, well, uh, thanks for tuning in, and uh, yeah, check out the merch, uh forward slash merch, and yeah, thanks for yeah watching.